Hey everyone, welcome to episode 126 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina with a special focus on the SCG Tour. We are your hosts, I'm Chris Castor-Rappel, with me as always is Collins Mullen. Hey Collins! What's up Chris? We are doing a uh, remote recording for the first time in a while. It's weird not to have you in the room with me. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I take it you're still, you know, at home in our normal situation. I am in Wilmington with family. So recording remote, but, uh, you know, holidays, good time. I am actually in South Carolina, so... I'm, oh, really? Uh, okay. Yes. <laughs> Interesting. Um, We're all over the place. We are all over the place, and we did take our traditional Christmas week off, but we are back for the new year. You know, new season, trying to get ahead of things, especially in modern. We have a lot of modern to play over the next month yeah. or so, uh, especially if you are in the modern seat as I am in the like, one or two team events. <laughs> yeah, you're, um, I mean, you know, you, you didn't even take the option to not play Modern when, when given the option. We're all going to be playing Modern this weekend, and, um, you know, definitely some options later on, but it's, you know, Star City loves their Modern, so. They they really do. And fortunately, hopefully Pioneer encroaches in on that a little bit, because I'm not, honestly, not huge on Modern right now. I've been playing a reasonable amount of it to to try to get prepped, and I did take the the modern seat in my uh, team trios team, but that was because I was just going to be testing modern for other tournaments yeah. anyways, sure. so I felt like I'd be the most prepared there. But yeah, so we are today going to talk a lot about modern to sort of catch up. Uh, I've been working on it some, and I know that you have been taking a well-deserved break, so <laughs> we're going to be... Yeah, I'll, I have a little bit of insights... But um, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm mostly going to be uh, hearing hearing your last couple of weeks of Mount Modern and giving my take. Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, although the house was pretty empty for most of break, Evan came home. And so I was able to sit down and, and chat with him and watch him play a couple of leagues. And, and, you know, we were able to bounce ideas off of each other about what this format is like now. So um, I have a pretty good idea of stuff. And I'm excited to, you know, play some tournaments where hopefully I feel like we, I mean, we tend to do the work and try to get ahead but oh yeah i'm I'm feeling okay about this coming off a break yeah for sure me too um before we get into it we have some patrons to thank want to thank connor g daniel c will deacon r and chase p a little behind on thanking patrons so those are the the last several to sign up so thank you thank you thank you so much um, I did a bunch of work over break on getting our rewards completed and out. So I have samples of the t-shirts ordered. I have several shipments that have gone out of pins and tokens and stuff. Our playmats are here and I have I had to test our shipping process to make sure it works first. And then I had to order a bunch of uh, like 800 count long boxes to ship the playmats in. But those are going to be going out this week. And yeah, so we are getting rewards out and we have our active discord popping off. And yeah, if if you'd like to support us, if you like the show, then please, 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 we would love it if you become a patron and we will send you some neat stuff. Absolutely. All right. So Collins, what have you been up to? How's your break been? You have not been playing very much magic. Have you been looking at deck lists and stuff or have you just been kind of enjoying yourself not having to grind every single day of the week? Yeah, I mean, so since uh, since we last talked and recorded, um, I've been you know on on vacation essentially, going to my grandparents' house in uh, Georgia, and then now I'm in Wilmington with my uh, my other grandparents, and it's been a great time, just you know relaxing and 
uh, being with family and, you know, I've been, I've been keeping my finger on the pulse a little bit with magic, you know, staying up to date on like all the chatter on Twitter and, uh, you know, talking to people about what they've been testing, talking with my teammates for Columbus about what their thoughts are. So not completely detached, but remind me who your Columbus team is again. Uh, I'm teaming with Austin Collins and Aiden Breyer. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's a good team. Yeah, very excited. Cool. So, yeah, uh, one of the things that has popped up a lot is that we are now in the 2020 mock season. Yes. And what is really cool about that, and I don't know about, you know, I don't really have a, a strong opinion to give on the qualifying structure and how the points are determined and where they come from and that sort of thing. But for our purposes... As people with a podcast who like to have deck lists to talk about and who like to keep updated on what exactly <laughs> is going on in the format, yeah, the fact that there are these preliminaries, which are, you know, there always were these like PPTQs online for the limited PTQs. And so now they've combined the PTQs and the MOX qualifiers into one thing, one tournament structure. And for the constructed ones as well, there are preliminary tournaments. And these are regularly scheduled tournaments where you have to go 4-1 or 5-0 in order to qualify for the finals. And what that does is that gives us deck lists that are not just the 5-0 deck list dumps. We get a handful of deck lists from each prelim and we get to see what decks went 5-0, what decks went 4-1, and what decks went 3-2, which is a lot more kind of usable and parsable information than like here are the 40 decks in modern that are capable of 5-0-ing a league sometimes but you don't <laughs> know how many times people tried them or whatever yeah so yeah. so for us this is this is really cool and and that's where a lot of our information about modern is going to come from is those those prelims so i, I don't mm. know if you've been able to pay attention to those or see no, what's going on in yeah. them but Okay. Yeah, I definitely took a look at the um, the breakdown. Saw like uh, I think Evan posted in our team chat like a little uh, breakdowns on a spreadsheet about it or something. So it's been it's been mm-hmm. useful for sure. Yeah, I, I, and I think that one of the keys to this is going to be figuring out a way of kind of combining the information from each of the events and pulling out like success rates from the different decks or something like that. It's tough when you can't yeah. see the actual losing decks, but at yeah. least we can see the three twos. And not just the five O's, so. Right, right. So I guess if we're going to talk about modern first, so today we'll, we'll talk about modern and then we're going to get into some of these Theros Beyond Death spoilers because there are some, <laughs> oh man, <laughs> some bangers in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, we can definitely start off with, start off with talking with modern. Yeah, um, I, th- I think the big thing with modern right now is kind of the question of, I mean, Urza is the boogeyman, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, Urza, Urza's been the deck that has been on top the whole time, and uh, we've been, you know, I've been hearing everybody talking about all the things that they've thrown at it to try to beat it, and nothing is consistently, you know, successful against it uh, yet, despite, like, entirely new archetypes being created and, like, specifically designed to be able to beat it, and it's just not quite there, so... Um, yeah, Urza, Urza's the boogeyman, and uh, it's it's pretty tough to go wrong with it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I am very likely to play Urza in Columbus. Like, I'm pretty locked on it. Um, I don't know what your status is for that tournament, what your team is thinking about. Yeah, I mean, Urza's definitely our, our top contender. Um, I kind of theorized that I, like, wanted our 
distribution to be two Urzas and one deck that beat Urza. Uh, the problem mm-hmm. is that we are still looking for that one deck that beats Urza. I have I have one archetype that I'll be talking about um, in a little bit that Austin Collins has been working on a lot that he likes. Great. And is, is seemingly well set up against Urza, but... Yeah, I am excited to hear about that. Yeah, if we can't figure out, you know, and and are confident that that, that deck is good, then we'll probably just go triple triple Urza. Gotcha. I that's hard to really argue with. <laughs> um, yeah. The big like question about Urza right now is, I guess, just is Ice Fang Coatl good? Question mark. Well, um, so I think the answer to that question is yes. But you you need to find a slot other than Emery to cut from your deck. <laughs> yeah. Like, like that's really... Right, because that's the follow-up to that question is like, yes, Ice Van Quattle is mm-hmm. good, but Emery is also really good. Yeah. And I think that that was kind of like where the... Um, you know, the kind of backlash to Quattle came from, because I, I knew that there was a good amount of backlash to the lists that were running Quattle. And I think, but I think that the primary like criticism of that deck was not that Quaddle was good or not. It was that they were trimming too heavily on Emery's, like going down to one copy or um, something like that. I think that Emery is still a, a pretty fundamental element of there's a deck that you don't want to trim on too much. Yeah, I don't think you have to trim Emery's to run Ice Fang Quaddle or Archmage's Charm. Like you, the deck does have about four or five flex slots in it yeah you know if we look at like vtcla's list that he won the uh he won the playoffs with and he went well beyond i mean the deck does a couple of interesting things like number one he doesn't have a splash color at all um clearly feels that the green and blue cards are good enough doesn't need to have thought seize or fatal push or path to exile or whatever other color of sideboard card yeah or main deck card in the flex slots because he's found the answers that he wants in just green and blue but he's gone well beyond just those flex slots to fit new cards into the deck he's running the full play set of ice fang quaddles he's running two archmage's charms mm-hmm. he's running a stoic rebuttal in addition to the two metallic rebukes and in order to fit those in he's had to trim on the emery's in order to you know just have the slots for these cards right so i guess like my feeling on Emery is is like two parts. Like number one, this is our iteration of Jund in the current modern, right? It's just like the yeah. best Jund deck we've ever seen. Right. Super powerful mid range deck. I like Emery because Emery is your Bob, and it's just <laughs> yeah cheaper and better than Bob. Right. Um. Yeah, Emery's like this Bob Dark Confidant split card, or sorry, Bob uh, Deathrite Shaman split card. Deathrite. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Bob Dark Confidant. And yeah, I mean it's it's just so fundamentally powerful. And I like I I get some of the like the feel bad surrounding it. It is legendary, so if you draw multiple copies, that's not great. You, your artifact count isn't that high. I mean, you know, this list is running what fifteen artifacts. It's you know, so you're not guaranteed to hit something every time either. Yeah, I mean goose goose counts. At, oh yeah, yeah. For hitting, it's fifteen artifacts. Yeah. For for goose, you know, goose helps affinity it out. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think the the legendary problem is a little bit of a like a I think that's a little bit of a red herring in the criticism of the card. Yeah. Um and I doubt that that is why uh Baker felt that he wanted to cut some. Mm-hmm. Cuz in my experience, like there's a couple of ways that having Emery plays out. Either 
like you draw an awkward hand that doesn't have the artifacts to like enable you to cast emery for cheap in which case it doesn't really matter if you have multiple emery's in your hand like you kind of had to mulligan that hand anyways probably it doesn't matter that emery was legendary like if mm-hmm. you had multiples in your hand they were bad regardless yeah. if you can cast it because you have cheap artifacts and then you don't it's not good because you don't hit cards in your graveyard then having the second one isn't that bad because that's an extra four looks at Amisha's Bauble in your graveyard. If you can cast it, but it's just not that good because of the matchup, because like grinding out card advantage with it isn't that great, and also like engineered explosives isn't that great, then it also doesn't really matter that it's legendary because it's just like not a very good card, and the second one wouldn't have been that good anyways. Sure. So I think if you are cutting Emery's, it's because you have a criticism of the card itself in Modern right now, whether that's, like, it's the only, like, creature they can really get value off of, of having the removal spell for, or I just don't want to, like, grind in this way. And if you feel that way, then those are reasons to cut the Emery. The I don't want four because it's legendary, I think, is you got to take that a, a step further and, and figure out if that's really your problem with it. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. For sure. You know, I respect the, I just hate getting it fatal pushed or whatever. That's that's a totally <laughs> legitimate thing if that keeps happening to you. But I, I think like part of my reason that I'm keeping them in there, and this isn't a great reason, this is like maybe a little bit of a leak, but I like having opening hands where I understand like what the powerful thing my, my hand is doing is, and having a bunch of Emery's gives you more nut draws, and I'm partial to nut draws uh yeah i mean you know that's modern baby (laughs) you gotta (laughs) uh you gotta have powerful hands you know so yeah um so evan has suggested putting ice fin quaddles in the sideboard for the matchups where they're particularly good because they are really good against death shadow yes and so i'm just not really willing to cut my emery's and then play a mirror match where my opponent plays an emery that sounds like a nightmare to me (laughs) yeah and my and i don't have a removal spell in my hand instead it's an ice fan quaddle like that's you know (laughs) that's not gonna line up very well no um i have been playing a galvanic blast version of the deck with just a bunch of galvanic blasts in my flex slots now is the red Um, for blood moon i have magus in my sideboard okay Um, interesting this was actually originally suggested by one of our patrons, and I gave it a shot, and I it makes me feel much more comfortable to have a one-mana removal spell in my deck. Sure. And uh, given the prominence of Eldrazi Tron, having my one-mana removal spell being able to kill Karn has been really important. Ah, okay. Um, and so I don't know if Magus or Blood Moon are better, but Moon has been okay. Um, sure. Not game-breaking or anything. Yeah. Now, um, wh- why the Magus over the um, enchantment? Uh, just, just because, like, if they believe you are bringing in Damping Sphere, and then, and so they prepare for that. If you bring in Blood Moon, then their Damping Sphere answer also answers your Blood Moon. Is the kind of theory behind that? Okay, interesting. Um, but it, you know, it, it's just like they tend to have answers to both because they have to have answers to Urza as well. Sure. So I'm not sure how much mileage you get out of it. Honestly, like several games have just come down to like, okay, this hand's kind of awkward, but it has a Magus of the Moon. I'm going to attack you a bunch of times with this Magus of the Moon, and then you killed it, but now you're at like 10. So I'm going to play this Oko, hit you for three, and then Galvanic Blast you twice. And so the 2-2 <laughs> has been like really relevant. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. 
Yeah. Have you have um, you found yourself running into just like incidental removal spells where your opponent just kind of like, oops, had it, kills your Magus? Like that's what I would be concerned about. I don't know if that's how the game's been playing out though. Yeah, that's happened every once in a while. But it's also been like, well, they killed my Magus, but now here's an Urza. And you're on sure. Eldrazi Tron, so yep. you're going to lose to this Urza. That's fair. Um, yeah. Yeah. A giant construct does a lot against uh, <laughs> against yeah. uh, Eldrazi's. I, and that's probably a matchup. So Eldrazi Tron has experienced like a solid resurgence lately. I, I play in leagues, like I probably play against it once a league or so. Um, there's a new version of it that yeah, I was not everybody ask. is playing yet. Is is that you, so? You said not everybody's playing it. I had heard a, a little bit about this like serum powder um, version of the deck, but I actually haven't seen the deck list. Uh, what what does it look like? So it cuts the matter reshapers. Uh-huh. Um, Finally, I, it's happened. I know sacred cow, but <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, so you cut the matter reshapers. You, you trim on some other stuff. It is running serum powders and once upon a time and once and upon a time. Okay. Yeah, which is, uh, you know, I, I I remember, like, thinking about, like, talking with you about this and wondering if there was any way of doing this, because Eldrazi Tron is just one of those decks that is super, super opening hand dependent, like, really wants to get yeah. a powerful assemblage of lands into play as quickly as possible. And so Once Upon a Time really helps with that, and so does Serum Powder. Uh, it's also mm-hmm. running Eternal Scourge to get a little bit more value off of your Serum, serum Powders, and yep. it basically Evan was playing the deck a bunch and he was saying like it's just kind of like Eldrazi Tron but you have a much higher percentage chance of doing the things that makes Eldrazi Tron powerful of you have a way higher chance of fast thought not seer or actually making Tron which then allows you to do walking ballista stuff and play multiple big spells honestly this is a way of building Eldrazi Tron that negates a lot of my traditional criticisms with the deck like playing just like nice. super underpowered magic cards like mattery shaper being totally at the mercy of the order in which you draw your cards it fixes a lot of that most of my hate for the deck evaporates once you build it this way so it's reminding me a lot of the like the old i don't even remember what this deck was called but it was just the old serum powder eldrazi deck that played that was just kind of all in on finding a Eldrazi Temple. A, a temple, yeah. Um, but I guess now we're putting it back into the Tron shell, so you also have the Tron nut draw out as well. So that's interesting. Right, right. And, you know, you have chalices, which are pretty good, although people definitely overrate them as, like, Urza hate cards. Yeah. You beat Chalice a lot with Urza. Yeah, I mean, you're just playing Oko. Like, Oko beats Chalice on its own, pretty yeah. much. Because, like, what are you going to do? Right. Chalice on three? <laughs> and then... Well, that has happened to me a lot. I've had a lot of, like, Chalices on zero at one, and then they have to decide whether three or four is most important <laughs> against you when they draw the third one. Wild. Uh, yeah. Interesting, though. Definitely, Chalice is good, but it is not a game ender by any stretch of the imagination and uh if you are once you've played urza a bunch you learn to sideboard around it and stuff and especially on the draw you know i like cutting a couple of mox opals because you just don't want them to get stuck in your hand against that sort of thing oh one one card that has become a, a big mainstay in urza which i did not love before but now i think just is stock and should be uh and i've been really happy with it is the ether spell bomb 
Uh, yeah. It gives you a one for when there's a chalice on zero, and boy, when you are juggling thought knots with it, it feels really powerful. <laughs> juggling thought knots, that's hilarious. They keep yeah. casting it, seeing just lands in your hand, and then you get to bounce it to draw a card, use up a bunch of their mana, cast your spell, and then they, what do they do? Like, they can't not cast their thought knot, so. Right, wow, that's great. Yeah, I mean, I thought that juggling uh, Death Shadows was feel pretty good, but that, that sounds even yeah. better. It is, it's solid. I, at first I thought like, well, you know, I like it against like the Simic Eldrazi deck that has been popping up because they don't have quite as much mana as Eldrazi Tron. Maybe I don't want it against, but boy, it just like really messes them up. Also protecting Oko from Reality Smashers is mm-hmm. like a pretty important thing to be able to do. So yeah. Well, cool. Yeah. So Eldrazi Tron has gotten better. I, I definitely would advise people to try the once upon a time version if they're interested in playing eldrazi tron evan was playing it and liked it but i think ultimately came to the conclusion that it just didn't have a good enough urza matchup still to to justify playing it so and and that's a deck that people play in order to beat urza so isn't that just uh, the story of modern right now (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) it's good Uh, and it's like supposed to be fine against urza but it's just not quite there yet and I wonder if one of the reasons for these beliefs and conclusions is, you know, you play against Urza and you play against online opponents and stuff and you're like, okay, like Urza feels okay. And then once you play against a really good Urza opponent, then it turns out like um, my conclusions might not have been the most correct here because uh, Urza is really hard to play. And I also think it's harder to play online than in real life. When I'm playing online, I'm like constantly under clock pressure and have to make sure that I'm just like clicking the right thing every time with Emery and stuff like that. And it's just like weirdly stressful to play it online and in paper, I'm much more comfortable playing it. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense for sure. It's just a lot of actions every turn. (laughs) So many actions. I I finish in the red on my clock like every match. Yeah, sometimes I'm like often even more comfortable playing a like a combo deck that finishes with a bunch of game actions just because it's not Mm -hmm. like a constant like thing that's happening throughout the entire match. I can just like be like, all right, you know, this is my combo turn. I can tune in. But yeah, for sure. I see what you're saying. And and right, because like when it's like Thopter Foundry combo, you are okay. I got to make a lot of game actions, but I know there's a point to it because I'm winning this game when I make these game actions. Like whether I'm winning or losing a game, I have to keep doing Emery Misha's Bobble like every turn and sequencing right. stuff correctly, <laughs> even though it's a bunch of clicks. And then I could end up losing that game a few turns later. So maybe that time investment it mm-hmm. just like went to waste as far as winning the match went. So right, but yeah, the I, I just haven't found anything that I want to play more than Urza, just because I don't feel comfortable playing anything against Urza, except for, like, Storm, I guess, but... I mean, so the other two decks that we should probably talk... Well, I think there are three more things that we should hit on. The, like, the... Have you played any of the, like, this new Simic Titan deck? Yes, I played a league with it. Part of of it is probably that, like, this type of deck doesn't really suit my playstyle. I'm, like, not a Valakut type guy but overall the deck just felt really limited in what it was capable of doing so this is you know straight blue green titan deck that is all field of the dead all the time my like primary criticisms of the deck are it it, it was pretty powerful if zombies are a thing that the format is vulnerable to the deck is good at making zombies and in particular it is it has a strong 
Urza matchup if you are piloting it well, and especially if your opponent doesn't really know what's going on and isn't directly targeting a, a, a board state where they can beat your zombies. You know, the way that Urza wins can often be like cryptic locking down the board, but just having the one force of negation in the deck to go get uh, to protect your zombies for one turn when you swing in can often just win the game. Um, and generally, just like grinding out zombies is is more value than than Urza can deal with in a lot of a lot of games. However, yeah. the deck is fundamentally limited in what it can do, especially game one. Like all you're doing is making zombies. If that's just not good enough, then you're kind of boned, and it's vulnerable to a lot of the same stuff as Valica is. And then loses to some stuff that Valakut beats. Like, I played against Tron, and I was just like, oh, I, I don't think I can ever win this matchup. And that's like a pretty big percentage <laughs> yeah. loss going right. from Valakut versus Tron. So Yeah, no, for sure. And also, I don't think that they're built right. The versions without Search for Tomorrow don't make any sense to me, because you only have four things to do on turn one. It's just your Arboreal Grazers. And I don't think that that is an appropriate way to build a modern deck you know just looking at the list that was always my biggest thing i was like wait where, why did they cut the search for tomorrow's isn't that one of your ways of casting a turn three titan um which is literally all the deck is trying to do every time that valakut started with search for tomorrow i like rolled my eyes like okay you got it like you did it this game like that was the card <laughs> you hate to see out of valakut so right i right, just right. don't I, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me and yes, it is yeah. one of the two ways of making a turn three Titan. You go Search for Tomorrow or a Boreal Grazer into Ramp Spell, into Resolve Search for Tomorrow, play a Castle, play a Titan. Like, yeah. you need the turn one to do that, so why cut it? Yeah, who knows? <laughs> um, yeah, and then the other deck that people seem to be talking about a good amount and at least seems to have a good amount of popularity online is the are these like new burn prowess hybrid decks mm -hmm. you know it's it's like essentially burn but you're cutting the white cards for the the other prowess creature that i'm can't remember the name of and uh, uh soul scar mage yeah soul scar mage and then the flashback lava uh, dart the, Lava Dart. Thanks, Chris. Uh, <laughs> I got you. Yeah. <laughs> this is how long it's been for me. No. Um, yeah, so Soulscar Mage and, and Lava Dart, like, essentially thrown into a pretty traditional burn shell to make it more streamlined. And then, like, the, the one, like, argument was, should we be playing Steamkins or Eidolons in the two-mana creatures slot? It seems like Steamkin is, like, actually pretty fine right now, but... I think, and that's just an indication of how little cheap removal is being played. There's no removal in Modern. It's kind of wild. Yeah. Like, Steamkin gets punished if your opponent has, like, it's so bad against Fatal Push or Lightning Bolt or whatever. Yeah. Uh, if they don't have it, though, like, you just go off. And like, that's scary. So, I guess in Modern, I'm generally a fan of playing the high upside card. So, mm -hmm. take a risk and yeah. play the Steamkin. Especially if you're more likely to hit your higher upside at the moment. Um, mm -hmm. So... Uh, and Eidolon also is a pretty big liability when you have, like, Lava Dart in your deck. So, you know, that's a pretty good reason to, to make the switch. Right, right, for sure. But yeah, I mean, so I think those are all of, like, the big, you know, decks in Modern right now. Um, the one deck that Austin has been working on a lot is actually White, Blue, Eldrazi. Or, sorry, uh, Eldrazi and Taxes. Um, so this is, okay. like, an old... I sent you a, 
an image of his deck okay, on I'll, Facebook. But I'll pull that up because I probably need to like take this in visually. Okay. All yeah. Right. So I've, this is I've processed it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The theory behind this is that we're playing just a bunch of hate bears that are well positioned at the moment. Thalia is really good right now. Leonin Arbiter is surprisingly good at the moment. Frexian Revoker as well just has a lot of targets in you know in all of the popular matchups. And then Spellqueller is just great. Spellqueller like is one of the cards that really preys on the fact that just nobody's really playing that many removal spells at the moment, so you mm-hmm. just get to really punish people um, with your Spellquellers. You you can build the House of Cards with this deck, and if nobody is playing Fatal Push, like that House of Cards is actually just not going to come tumbling down. Right. Yeah, so I, you know, I, I haven't played any with this deck, but uh, he seems to be pretty excited about it, so I'm definitely <laughs> willing to let him see how his testing plays out in Columbus. You know, hopefully when I get back, I'll be able to jam it a, a little bit and either <laughs> veto it and make him play Urza or not. <laughs> I, I think Giver of Runes is just a huge add to a deck like this. That seems yeah. like a, a pretty a pretty big deal in order to protect your guys. Yeah. Um, the Revokers I also like. Before I saw the new Eldrazi Tron lists, I was wondering, like, why aren't we just cutting Madari Shapers for phyrexian revokers like isn't that just a way better card right now since i I think it probably just is yeah Mm -hmm. so so yeah i I like a lot of the choices here i wonder if teferi is something that you could play in here the sideboard is not in this photo but uh and it's something that we've still been working a lot on but we do have access to a lot of really phenomenal sideboard cards namely yeah teferi's great in some matchups um and with spell queller also Mirren Crusader is just a house against these black-based Urza decks. That was something that we discovered through our PC testing. Yeah, definitely it's a lot of things that we can do with the sideboard there, but it uh, it's just an interesting archetype that it, you know could potentially be under the radar and have a decent matchup against Urza, uh, which you know is the dream right now, right? So <laughs> yeah, everybody's I looking mean, for their deck that that can 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 beat Urza. The combo of able to beat urza and also good deck is like a really elusive combo (laughs) so uh if you can put that together then that's that's exciting one of the things that i think is important here as an urza player and this is one of the reasons that i'm probably going to stick with galvanic blast the sentiment has been bandied around on twitter and i don't think it's too far from correct that it almost doesn't matter what is in your flex slots because the deck is so good yeah you just don't don't want to be playing like the thing that they are expecting you to have and and preparing for so vtl vtcla's list clearly very good for that tournament good for the online metagame i think there's more urza in paper than there is online so i want to make sure that my urza deck is ready for other urza decks which means being able to kill emery and urza which galvanic blast is pretty good at yeah i also don't want to get punked by mirren crusader or by you know, Phyrexian Revoker that I just can't kill or whatever people have put in their decks because they're like, this is really good against the traditional Urza builds. I'd just like to have cards that surprise them and they haven't prepared for in their metagame choices or that you can just punk them out of a game by like Blast You for Four, Mystic Sanctuary (laughs) to the top of my library, Blast You for Four again. Yeah, Um, yeah. So my argument is not that Galvanic Blast is the best card for that slot. 
but it is a card that people are going to screw up building their deck around beating or playing against. And I think that that's the max value that you can get from those slots rather than like the most powerful card for those slots. Get a card that people are just not going to be taking into account in their percentages, basically. Yeah, yeah, very fair. Yeah, it's a weird time for Modern to <laughs> to be this focused around one deck. And especially because the online metagame and the paper metagame, I believe, have like diverged pretty significantly. And I don't know if that's because of card prices online or something like that. Uh, I think there's more Urza in the prelims than there is... Like, I just never play a mirror, basically. The only mirror I've played in the past, like eight leagues that i've played was against dylan playing urza and yeah. n- no other mirror and i <laughs> that might just be because oko is so expensive online that just nobody I, wants to do it yeah i do think it does have something to do with card availability but i think that we're in this weird new era where instead of like the traditional like price pricing out uh that mm-hmm. like happens with card availability now we're in this era of my rental service doesn't have any more of these. <laughs> Honestly, I think that like has a lot to do with it, or at least is yeah. one of the factors. Because uh, you know, I've 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 heard that complaint many times where um, you know it's like, oh, Mana Traders is just out of uh, this card, and and oh, and also they're three hundred dollars, so I can't get a set of these. Yeah, I can't just uh, buy them. So. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. What and a that creates time. a weird thing. Um. Cavalier of Thorns is, uh, like, almost 50 ticks online. <laughs> Jeez. Because uh, just the moto economy is, like, pretty messed up from... A lot from, A lot is from the fact that people don't really play much limited on moto anymore. So far fewer mm. packs are opened. Uh, yeah. And then people don't really play standard either. But then when a standard legal card breaks out in an eternal format then there's just not enough supply to keep up with the demand. So right. Uh, right. the prices go go wild. And so Cavalier of Thorns started seeing Pioneer play and then shot up from oh, okay. 4 ticks to 45 ticks. Gotcha. So, yeah, I was going to ask, because nobody plays standard on <laughs> on Moto. Why would there be demand for it? <laughs> right. But, yeah. No, guess, it's, it's yeah. because that is now the five drop of choice in the uh, Devotion deck. So, uh, or at least okay. it was for a week or so. I'm not sure. I'm not super sure. current on Pioneer. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, although I did win a Pioneer IQ uh, two weeks ago, so you know, pretty much, I know. pretty much mastered that format. So yeah, uh, can you know go ahead and wash cl- your hands of that one and move on. Yep, all and... done there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hilarious. Pioneer is kind of sweet. Uh, a lot of the really broken cards got banned, and now we are kind of doing some of the stuff we were excited to do at the beginning of the format, uh, right. including right. like Rally is like kind of fine, and uh, Treasure Cruise is up to the power level of the format, I believe. And because uh, like you know Phoenix in these prelims was like the third most represented deck among the winning decks so like it's it's there it's a it's a totally reasonable deck although blue white control with dig through time is definitely like scary has seemed to be the big winner um although i do like that matchup uh i was bringing in 13 cards against it and post games felt borderline unlosable (laughs) yeah sounds like you had um a lot of good resilient threats that were difficult to answer so yeah, uh, Planeswalkers plus like massive card draw is really difficult for the blue-white decks as built. So 
So yeah, anything else about modern that we should talk about? I mean, where are you, like, you know, I, I guess we've talked about the decks that you are interested in and thinking of, but you are just going to start with Urza and probably going to yeah. be playing that. Um, yeah, when I yeah when I get home, I think I'm going to start with kind of like the, the more fringy um, archetypes that I am going to see if I like. I, I'm probably like maybe 20% to play this uh, Death and Taxes deck, maybe, you know, 10% to play Prowess, maybe 10% to play the Titan deck, and then, you know, 60% to play Urza at this point. Yeah. Yep. That, that all makes sense. You know, I'm a type where, like, I a lot of my testing time for this tournament was over the past couple of weeks. I'm about to go back to work after new year's and yeah. i am not home right now so probably since i'm the type where i have to play a deck quite a bit in order to feel comfortable with it rolling up to a tournament um i'm very likely to just be playing there's a uh an, an audible will probably only hurt me and i'm not really willing to do that in a team tournament take that kind of risk so it's probably where i'm at and so if you play against me you know you know <laughs> not to get punked by expect Galvanic some memories yeah. Expect some memories, <laughs> and 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 if you are one of our listeners, you get the reward of knowing to play around Galvanic Blast. And if you're yeah. not, then don't get a eight. I'll... Yep, don't go to eight. Um, yeah, don't I go to eight because then fetch land plus some death shadow opponents. Uh, oh yikes! Who are not nice. careful? You know, it's not the best card because it doesn't like kill their threats all the time. But yeah. sometimes, sometimes you just get them. Why would you need to kill their threats when you can kill them? It's the best way to get their threats off the board when they just have to pick them up because they're dead. Have you ever had an opponent go down to four while you have Galvanic Blast and Veil of Summer in your hand? It feels oh, that really feels good. great. <laughs> yeah. Oh, this is going to resolve. Don't you worry. <laughs> I'm sorry you're dead. All right. Well, I am excited to play some modern. Kind of excited. And then we will see how this goes for the next month or so. I may be pretty burned out on the format by the time we, we yeah. you know five weeks are through also all the iqs coming up are modern too and oof <sighs> yep we'll see but we do have some spoilers to talk about that are uh oh boy do we oh boy yeah where do we want to start i put these spoilers onto the dock but we don't have to do them in any particular order i think we can knock out some of like the the kind of cool but not insane ones first sure uh, um, so, like, Woe Strider, I think, is an example of a card like that. Yeah, I I honestly... I, this card has a chance of being insane, right? So this is 2 and a black for a 3-2 horror. When it enters the battlefield, create an 0-1 white goat creature token. Sacrifice another creature, scry 1. It has escape for 3 and 2 black and exile four other cards from your graveyard. So you can cast this card from your graveyard for that cost. Pay five, exile four other cards. Um, the thing to yeah. note about escape is like it's not flashback. Like the, you, this card doesn't ever end up getting exiled. Only the cards that you use to escape. So you can like keep making Woe Strider if they keep killing it and you have cards in your graveyard. And it yeah. escapes with two plus one plus one counters on it. So even though you're paying five mana for it, it becomes like a five mana sized creature that you didn't spend a card on. Um, so, you know, on rate, this card is pretty decent. Two bodies, it's a 3-2, and it can keep coming back and challenging a removal deck that, you know, for no card cost. 
it also just is a free sacrifice outlet and comes with another body for your sacrifice tokeny deck, at which, you know, a sacrifice tokeny deck happens to be the best deck in standard right now. And <laughs> yeah. uh, coming with a body and being a sacrifice outlet, like, this is just a crazy card to go with Mayhem Devil. It gives you a, a body to sacrifice to an oven. Multiple times it does that because it brings back the goat every time that it comes back. And yep. it just, like... It feels like it's probably one of those glue cards. You know, you play a Korvald and you have this out, you get to sacrifice all of your nonsense creatures to pump your Korvald and turn them into cards before your opponent gets to do anything about it. So we just don't have any cost-free unlimited sacrifice outlets in standard right now. This is one of them, and And I I think that it has a place. Yeah, like the, the, the free sacrifice outlet is... I, like pretty huge in my mind like you know this is something that we just like we're not given for many many standard sets and uh, i'm i'm pretty confident that that was on purpose so like having a free sack outlet is very very powerful in the right engines and we certainly have the right engines at the moment so in in terms of standard impact i expect to see a lot of woe striders yeah definitely and it comes with it, a free it, body it's just crazy right it comes with a free body each time too like this poor goat, like it comes, brings it back from the dead with it too. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So should be very. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think this is, yeah, going to be an an a a uh, level standard card for sure. But that's not as good as it gets for these, <laughs> for these spoilers, not. which is which is pretty wild. Yeah. Before we get into the complete bangers, um, mm. we've got thirst for meaning, which is two and a blue for an instant. Draw three cards, then discard two cards unless you discard an enchantment card. So obvious throwback to thirst for knowledge. Uh, yeah, you know, reason significantly less powerful because it's harder to fit a bunch of enchantments into your deck. But I believe in the standard that we've got coming up. That's probably not that hard to do. Like even right. in a fires of invention deck, this is probably a pretty good card. Yeah, no, I I would say so. Um, like, and you know, thirst for knowledge has always traditionally been a, a you know a, a very powerful card, and you know I think that this is going to be similarly just a, a great card advantage engine for for a deck that that has enough enchantments to use with it. The problem is that like normally artifacts had a bunch of like throwaway artifacts that you didn't really care about, but you know enchantments is like kind of different where you're not often going to have like you know typically in your enchantment deck you want to hold on to your enchantments so that's like the whole point so it might right. not be as good of a uh, card advantage engine yeah i mean it's nice with like fires of invention where you don't want the second one um and this also is cheap enough where like unlike draw from dreams like this finds you your fires of invention where draw from right. dreams was really only good if you had fires in play it also if you have some like narrow enchantments in your deck uh, i think like dead weight is one of the examples that i saw people talking about like if you have those kinds of things in your deck then that makes this card that much better and it's also pretty good with you know it's a better way of filling the graveyard than most cards that we have access to uh you just get to yeah. choose even if you're not doing enchantment stuff you get to choose two cards from your hand to put into your graveyard if that's relevant and you know it also sort of like enables dance of the manse if that's what you want to do in probably quite a bit of application you know it competes with stuff like teferi and narset in more traditional decks where those planeswalkers might just be better because like engine cards in current magic tend to be better than like one shot things and also you know instant card type is fantastic but 
how much are we actually leaving up counter spells in decks that aren't like actual flash i don't know not that much maybe uh, but you know obviously instant card type is just still very good to have so yeah uh, yeah for sure it'll see some play but i don't i think that the types of decks that are going to run it are a little bit narrower than the types of decks that ran cards like thirst for knowledge or compulsive research yeah no that's that's very fair for sure all right and then the last like kind of standard dedicated card Plus standard although, level power powered level card. <laughs> yeah. yeah although you know this is I, I could see something happening with this in like pioneer or something too because it does have an mm-hmm. ability that scales with the size of the format yeah, yeah. so this is perforos bronze blooded four and a red for a legendary enchantment creature god seven six indestructible as long as your devotion to red is less than five perforos isn't a creature other creatures you control have haste and two and a red, you may put a red creature card or an artifact creature card from your hand onto the battlefield, sacrifice it at the beginning of the next end step. So he has an activated ability that through the breaches, red and artifact creatures, he is gigantic and indestructible if you have <laughs> devotion. Uh, yeah. And some of these red cards happen to give you devotion. Some of the red cards that really work with him give a lot of devotion. I'm thinking particularly... Yeah. Cavalier of Thorns and or Cavalier of Flames and Dracuseth Maw of Flames, which is a mm-hmm. great card to through the reach into play. Yeah, both those, of those. those just get really close to turning him on. Also works really well with Fires of Invention because he's got a big activated ability, and you have Cavalier of Flames in your deck. So, right, yeah, and that's another red pip. <laughs> so yes, um, yeah, it seems to be like set up perfectly to curve. You know, turn four fires into turn five. Uh, cast Perforus for free you know, cast your Cavalier for free, put in another thing, and give all of your creatures haste with your ability in plus one plus. So that's just, your opponent's just going to die. Yeah. <laughs> that's just it. And and even when you're not doing that perfectly, like he also has the other creatures you control have haste thing. Doesn't give himself haste ever, but like that's not useless in a fires deck with a bunch of like heavy hitters like Cavalier yeah. Flames and yeah, whatever. Absolutely. You know, it's not... When you don't have Fires of Invention and you just, like, cast Perforos for five mana and your Devotion is not on, it's not great. You might just die, and that's the risk of this card. Um, True. But the ceiling is there, and Through the Reach is a powerful, powerful effect. I am going to try this with Dracuseth, so, and nobody can stop me. Yeah. yeah, and, you know, in Standard, like, even just, like, the... You know, the naked turn five Perforos curves into turn six, you know, put two giant things on the board, so. Yeah, and they are pro- you've built your deck such that those two things turn on Perforos, I assume, and then you just smash. Also works pretty well with uh, the the pig god. Illard is a diff- a, a second source of a through-the-breach effect in your deck. Also <laughs> happens just through-the-breach like- tribal. Yeah, yeah, but really, like, redundancy is fantastic, Build your deck so that, like, a five mana through the breach is good, and Illarg and Perforos are both, like, pretty reasonable to through the breach into play, so you kind of get this, like, both redundancy in effects, and the, the cards give you options because they perform multiple roles, because they're giant things that both are through the breaches and can be through the breached into play. So that's yep. just, like, a level of flexibility in your cards that... that even if you draw them in a weird order, you probably can make something happen. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, on to the eternal power level cards. <laughs> of which there are multiple. There are um, multiple. Yeah. Um, Where do we, we got... want to start? 
probably like the simpler application one, Oxavagonus. Sure. Yeah. Uh, this is three red red for a four two. When Oxavagonus enters the battlefield, discard your hand, then draw three cards. Uh, and he's got escape for red red, exile eight other cards from your graveyard, and it escapes with a plus one plus one counter on it. So I guess we <laughs> we've had a long enough break from dredge, right? That's what this card yeah. says. We've also had a long enough break from Hogak, which is what this card is, <laughs> reincarnate. <laughs> kind of. You know, I mean, I do think that there's a big difference between having to exile eight cards and having to exile five cards. Um, mm-hmm. Like, that's that's relatively significant. And, you know, this card on its own is not an 8-8 Trampler, which is also significant. Yes, but that's a huge, huge difference. Like, right. if Hogak were a 4-4... Four, four, we would have had a totally different yeah. like thing happening in magic history perspective of that card right exactly yeah. yeah but the ability to discard your hand and then draw three cards that mm-hmm. is why this card is going to get played i mean yep. you know if you put this card in a dredge if you i feel like if you escape this card and it resolves mm-hmm. you're you're just going to win i mean you know we have we have creeping chills we have you should just be able to dump your entire like almost close to your entire deck onto the yeah um into the graveyard with I just mean, like one casting of this card the big loss from the faithless looting ban from the dredge side of things was that you could not dredge into an enabler thing you know you yeah. couldn't dredge into like okay great like now i get to dredge multiple times here like we had to replace that with life from the loam and cycling lands which are like a fine ongoing game engine but the explosiveness wasn't there uh and this thing is all explosiveness red red dredge 15 like yeah that's right that's a lot that's you have insane. to be you have to be doing it a little bit you know it doesn't fulfill that dual role that faithless looting had which is that i love to see this card in my opening hand and i love to dredge it um right so it, it's not doing that but you know as like a two over something in dredge it's just one of the best cards to flip over when you're dredging a little bit and then it just like lets you explode from there yeah so i think that this is definitely going to revitalize the dredge archetype a little bit Mm -hmm. in modern it'll be interesting to see what the builds end up looking like i'm not entirely sure you know what direction will people will be headed with them i'm predicting like a more traditional build um but the deck is still missing a good number of one mana enablers uh it'll be interesting to see kind of like you know what people decide will fulfill that slot and everything but yeah i mean this card is just clearly insanely strong with you know just having dredge cards in your deck and and cards that are you know good at being utilized through that dredge may not be the only deck that uses this if Faithless Looting were still in the format, this would be a scarier card in non-dredge decks because it really would be able to like function as Bedlam Reveler that kind of works better potentially for a lot of decks. Uh, but it seems really hard to enable without Faithless Looting in, in non-dredge decks. Like, at yeah. least Dredge gets to play Merchant of the Veil and Cathartic Reunion to discard cards. Like, drawing mm. ox in basically any other deck i don't really know how you're getting this out of your hand it's just kind of right. impossible yeah. right now yeah you yeah you do really need to have it end up in your graveyard in order in order to like hit its maximum power level so yeah yeah and you also have to have 
eight is a huge number i mean eight is a large yeah. number of cards so yeah. that's that's pretty important too yeah that is more than treasure cruise so <laughs> yes um yes. you really have to be d- facilitating this quite a bit um and you know and there are some awkward elements of that in dredge where you're gonna want to like a lot of your cards in dredge like you know remove themselves from the graveyard either by putting mm-hmm. themselves in a play or exiling because they're creeping chill or whatever so it's it's not you're not really ever going to be able to do this like turn two in my mind i don't think right um so it's not you know it's not explosive in the sense that it creates this this fast element to the archetype but i do think that it will definitely give it the the, the resiliency that um it has always kind of wanted I think it's going to re-enable Dredge to have those turn three kills or like turn three, like nothing can beat me from here draws. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. if you ever go turn one enabler, turn two cathartic, turn three ox, yeah, like that should just do it. Right. So, And your um, cathartics should be doing a good job of finding your finding your ox. So Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and we all know that, like, having a good nut draw is, like, pretty key to a deck being good in modern, especially if it's, like, a very linear deck. So, yeah, this will put Dredge back on the map, I believe. All right, and then last, we've got the, the headliner. We've got un- <laughs> Underworld Breach. One in a red. This is an enchantment. Each non-land card in your graveyard has escape. The escape cost is equal to the card's mana cost, plus exile three other cards from your graveyard. At the beginning of the end step, sacrifice Underworld Breach. So, super weird templating, but the main takeaway is that escape is not flashback. You can cast the same card a bunch of times if you have the the mana and the cards in your graveyard. And so whatever is the best thing at that moment, and it can be Lion's Eye Diamond, it can be Manamorphose, it can be Thought Scour, you can just do it a bunch of times. Right. And, you know, and it can also be, like, one of these cards can be, like, a mill enabler. Like, you can cast Brain Freeze. Like, that's the crazy one to your, me, yeah. You know, that's just going to give you the fuel that you need to dump your deck into your graveyard so that you can eventually cobble together some sort of win. Um, yeah, I mean, this engine is just insane to me. Um, it's, like, very obviously going to be built around in Eternal Formats. You know, at least Legacy is going to want to play a lot of this card. And I think it's going to shake up what the storm format, the storm archetypes look like a lot. It might even like a a new underworld breach storm deck is probably going to, you know, come together with this just because the engine is so powerful. Um, And then even in modern, like I can see a lot of interesting applications for this, but. I'm actually not that excited about it in legacy. And certainly, you know, more about legacy than I do. and And you certainly know more about legacy storm than I do. Sure. But, like, Legacy Storm right now is constructed such that it can c- include a lot of hand disruption in it, because yeah. Legacy includes a lot of ways to disrupt engines, and you need to fight back against that. Just having, like, a pretty powerful engine that can be attacked in a lot of ways is not necessarily game-breaking in Legacy, because Force of Will and Days exist, and so do, you know, hand disruption and stuff. Like, certainly, like, this effect is very powerful once you have it in a deck with Lion's Eye Diamond and, and Brain Freeze. <laughs> but I wonder if that's actually better than a deck that is able to fight back in a bunch of ways. Uh, and then still, like, you know, because in Legacy, if you resolve, ten- if you resolve uh, Ad Nauseum, you just win the game. So 
you know, do we need more engines? Maybe. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is it is well. I just think that this overwhelming. Yeah, I I think that this engine is just better than the ones that we've had previously. Okay. And I don't think that you need to give up the eight discard spells in your in your underworld breach deck. Um, okay. I think you can still have like those elements. And dark ritual is going to be one of the better things to like flashback as well. You know, I, but I you know I don't know exactly what this deck is going to look like yet. But um, it it feels to me like an engine more powerful than we've seen before, which is yeah a pretty pretty crazy statement to make. Well, I don't. It- I think it's going to be really easy to underestimate the difficulty of filling your graveyard enough to make this card work. Three cards for each cast is quite a few. And, yeah. you know, if you're using Lion's Eye Diamond, at least you get to use the cards in your hand. Like, the deck may just have to run, like, a bunch of brain freezes. Like, that may be the thing, is if you have a Lion's Eye Diamond, a brain freeze, and an Underworld Breach, you just win the game. So you run, like, four brain freezes in your deck. Um, right. So that that may be the key there. I don't know. In modern, this is kind of just like Kethys in better colors that works on more of your stuff and also like helps <laughs> tutor to your stuff. Yeah. So this thing with Grinding Station seems great to me. Um, the fact that yeah. like one of the really awkward things about Kethys is that you can't get your Grinding Station back from your graveyard if you don't untap with Emery. So that like allows your opponent to interact with you in ways that like limit your your redundancy this just lets you cast anything from your graveyard so if you mill over with whatever mill cards you're using your grinding station and then you get that into play and then you're just like casting moxes from your graveyard and then using your grinding station on each cast to give you the fuel for the next mox like you get a bunch of mana and then what this does is it flips your deck into your graveyard like that that's what that (laughs) engine does and so you have yeah. one grape shot in your deck, you flip that into your graveyard, and then you just cast your grape shot from your graveyard. And if, you know, yeah. there's a a limit to the number of spells you can cast with Underworld Breach, because you have a 60-card deck and you're exiling three cards each time you cast a spell, but you can cast the same grape shot like three times. So we only have to storm <laughs> up to like six or seven, and then we just grape shot them. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's pretty wild. Yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see, yeah, what people can do with... Uh, like, like, is this going to be a replacement for Kethys, or is this going to be like in addition to Kethys? Like, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we've hit all of the colors now. The Underworld Breach is red, so Kethys right. is going to be an interesting one. But, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, definitely a lot of a lot of potential with um, with uh, Grinding Station for sure. Yeah, I mean, if we can cut the Kethys, then we get to cut some bad colors out of our deck, and we can make this, like, a you know, a, a blue-red deck that's just, like, a blue-red, like, artifact combo deck with Underworld Breach and Emery and artifacts and, and some tutors and stuff. You know, sounds really like, strong to me. Yeah. Sounds sounds pretty decent to me. You know, like, green is good because of Veil vale of Summer and as long as it stays legal, Oko. But I don't really want white in my deck, in my combo deck, if I can help it. And, yeah. you know... If we can just be blue red, then that this deck is. I, I tweeted about this, but I believe, like this may be the thing that gets Mox Opal banned, right? If it gets used in like a real combo deck, I, I right. guess KCI With did Mox not Opal get. And... Yeah, I, I guess KCI didn't get Opal banned, but you know that had like a clear like let's blame KCI for this. That card's a problem. Um, yeah, I mean this yeah, might just yeah, get Underworld sure. Breach banned, but you know maybe we'll <laughs> finally get there on Mox Opal. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, they have shown that they're willing to ban, like, newer cards. You know, they, mm-hmm. they banned Oko out of multiple formats now. So, yeah, I mean, we'll see. Uh, they seem to be, uh, you know, on this trend of push the envelope with all these very powerful cards and then, you know, assess from there. So, all right, it should be interesting. Yeah, I mean, it, it will be wild. Uh, and that segues pretty nicely into our Patreon question of the week, actually. So, oh, does it? Nice. Yes. Lee has asked us, does the prospect of every standard set going forward being at the power level of Throne of Eldraine excite or worry you? So this is, like, Wizards pretty much made clear, like, hey, Throne of Eldraine is going to be the standard for power level going forward. This is, like, what we are trying to do. So I, I would like to hear, like, what's your immediate gut response to that that idea? Uh, both, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> both excited and worried about uh this new era of magic that we're entering into um you know i'm excited because i think that it is a good tool to keep people excited about magic which i'm pretty much always for um but i am a little worried as well because you know it it feels like they're kind of going down the route that Yu-Gi-Oh went down where there was just like constant bannings and and that was you know disruptive in some ways and you know could be could be a problem but i i think that mostly i'm excited uh you know i i feel like um i i have faith in r&d to be able to figure out a good solution to problems as they arise and you know we we can't stay like you know if if the alternative is that we continue to do the same thing that we've been doing forever like that's gonna get stale and boring and i think that you know as as we move into like the new future of games we need to be able to adapt and uh you know change up the the methods that we're using to you know to to like design the game and 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 that needs to evolve at some point and this seems like an evolutionary step and if it and if it ends up being bad i think that we can you know like you know take our foot off the gas a little bit eventually but i i wouldn't be scared of this kind of like you know shift in mentality i you know i have faith that if if it is a bad thing then we'll be able to address that in a year and be like all right you know we're not gonna do that again this felt like a lot like new Phyrexia or whatever and that was <laughs> you know more damaging than it did good and you know, and maybe it does make some some like lasting impacts on Magic long term, like New Phyrexia has. But you know, we don't look back at these New Phyrexian cards and be like, you know, like oh, this was it. This was like the end all be all. You know, Magic's still good and and yeah. thriving to this day. Right, so. Magic did not die when they printed Gitaxian Probe and right. all the other Phyrexian mana yeah. spells. Like, it was definitely impacted for a while, and then later removed from pretty much every format. But, you know, we have the ability to do that. So why not push the envelope a little bit and see where it takes us? Yeah. So I guess my concerns are in a couple of places. Uh, Number one, I don't know that pushing the power level is the one way to create new and interesting stuff. Uh, I I think that there are alternatives to that in card design. That's kind of the easy one, right? Is like, let's see what happens when we put five abilities on this card. Um, (laughs) And yeah. I'm not sure that that's the healthiest way to do it. These bannings have consequences. Like, I personally, I have a bunch of Okos uh, that I bought to use. I did not spec on Okos. I bought them, you know, the, the 
my first set of Okos I pre-ordered and, you know, paid like, you know, got a good deal because I pre-ordered, so it was like under $30. My second set of Okos I bought borderless ones for like 40 something dollars each and all of those have been played every single weekend because I've needed them and my friends have needed them. Like I didn't spec on them, I bought them to use because I knew we would have to use them. Them getting banned, like I can deal with it. It's fine. I have a I have a full-time job. I'm doing fine. Not everybody is able to keep up with this sort of thing. Not everybody can spend $200 on Okos knowing that they'll be banned soon. Um, you know, I've got Once Upon a Times. I've got playsets of pretty much all the cards that have gotten banned recently. And not everybody can absorb that cost. And it makes it really hard to, you know, like, Pioneer is a little different because they told us like, hey, we're going to be banning stuff from it. And it's fine. Like, I appreciate them doing that. And that is how they decided to build the format. And I think that's okay. They let us have fun with all the weird stuff. They let us break it and then weren't banning stuff that didn't turn out to be broken. Uh, instead of us having a band list filled with cards that are just, like, not actually that insane. So that's a pretty good result. But it has the effect of, like, a lot of people did not want to buy into Pioneer while it was still being developed, and there's still a lot of tension around that with people like, should I actually, like, buy a deck? Or, like, if I buy the best deck, is it just going to get banned in two weeks? Like, I don't really know what to do here. So they got to wait that out, and then hopefully that, you know, works itself out, and then Patreon, or, and then uh, Pioneer becomes a little more stable. The problem is when that just happens to Standard, and then Standard is in that permanent state of, like, oh god, can I buy this Planeswalker? Like, what happens if I buy this Planeswalker and then it does get banned three months from now? Like, that consumer confidence is, is a real serious thing. And, like, people losing money on their hobby in this way is psychologically, like, it creates serious feel-bads and, and people are going to not be super excited about playing. Um, you know, the last standard GP had 300 people in it for a, a variety of reasons but the last standard gp had 300 people in it <laughs> yeah no for sure and i i do think that that is a very real issue of um you know some of the decisions that are being made are having an impact on the number of people that are playing the game and that you know we we want the impact to, to be a net positive in that direction and not and and we've seen it be a net negative yeah that that is definitely something that we'll need to avoid as much as we can so but I, I do agree that it's important to print exciting cards it's important to print cards that when they get spoiled people look at them and go "Ooh, i could use this in my x deck like that has yeah. to happen for magic to survive but the problem is that you need to have formats that exist where you can have an x deck and yeah and that is starting to erode it feels like where you know just look at modern like the top archetypes in modern are wildly different than like the traditional top archetypes of modern and that was always the biggest selling point to modern is that like you know i just remember like i worked at a local game store and they were like i you know i want to i want to invest in a deck you know what what format should i invest into and i would always tell them modern modern's the the format that you can build your deck and, and be confident that uh you know you're going to be able to play that deck for a long time and that's just no longer true so I do think that we need a format that exists that is like that. You know, Legacy is as close as we have right now, but Legacy is just inaccessible. So, you know, what's the solution there? Yeah, um, I don't know. 
And and this change to modern has actually been kind of good for players like us, where it's more of a format. It's like I I can take off the decks that I expect to play against. I can make sure that I have plans for those decks. The surprises that I get hit with are there's just not going to be that many of them and so like i am more confident that i can prepare for a modern tournament than i used to be able to but the consequence of that is that a lot of people's like my modern deck whatever that happens to be you show up to a tournament and it's one of the decks that like we tell jokes about now because it's just not capable of keeping up with the stuff that's going on and it will just lose to anything out of urza or whatever and that's the modern the whole point of modern the reason that it was so popular the reason that these gps were gigantic and our modern episodes get you know 30 percent more listens than other episodes and stuff is because you know people love this format because they get to play their decks and there's such a wide variety of things that are possible and reasonable to do in the format and if that leaves the format then modern kind of loses its identity and the thing that drew a lot of people to it right yeah so it'll be interesting to see you know if if we can like find a format that is going to take that spot like maybe pioneer maybe their like long-term vision for pioneer is that it becomes that um which would be great but if they you know i just don't think that that can exist alongside the philosophy of every new set is going to have large impacts on every single format Uh, right so right well yeah and in pioneer you know it was pretty much dominated and kind of still is to some extent but certainly before the bands was dominated by field of the dead and by oko and by once upon a time decks and like if they're gonna have to do that with every set pioneer is just going to go through these upheavals of like all right well the best deck that you can play is the deck based on these escape whatever cards the latest for, yeah powerful thing is yeah and then it gets banned and then we go back to like okay well the delve cards are good again and then the next set comes out and then we get all we got to play those decks for three months like that that's not going to work yeah we'll see well yeah we will see I think that we, you know, I think we covered it there. No kind of closing thoughts on all that. I, I you know, I, I think that it'll be, uh, you know, I, 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 <laughs> I, I know I keep on saying this and it doesn't really mean a lot, but I, you know, I just, I just have faith in, in the process that we go through. And I think that, you know, making mistakes is mm-hmm. part of that process. And I just, you know, as long as we are able to keep rebounding and readjusting to those mistakes, it'll be good. Yeah. I mean, I want to have some indication that they are learning from the mistakes is a pretty key thing here. But if we get yeah. that, then then that will certainly help. Cool. Well, I think that we that was a solid episode for our first one of the new year. So thank yeah. you to everybody for spending your New Year's Day with us or whatever day you, you chose to listen to this episode. Really, really appreciate it. Appreciate your time. If you would like to lend us some support, you can head over to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast or straight over to mtggrindcast.com where you've got links to our Patreon, links to Collins' coaching, all of the old episodes and stuff. We have like pretty much a full roster of Patreon rewards now that we are making sure to send out as timely as possible. And so that's hats, t-shirts, playmats, pins, tokens, uh, like just a bunch of good, sweet stuff. Um, and of course the Discord is open to anyone of any 
pledge tier. So definitely come and hang out. That is, we would, we'd love to talk to you. If you want to catch our show live uh, every Tuesday, 7.30 p.m. Eastern time on twitch.tv slash Collins Mullen. And if you want to find us on social media, I'm tweeting from at CCR underscore Grindcast. And the podcast is also on Twitter at at MTG underscore Grindcast. And Collins is also on Twitter at Collins Mullen. Um, Thanks, everybody, so much for listening. We really, really appreciate your time. And have a great week. Peace.